Good morning, Rio Vista. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. How's everybody doing this morning? That's still not even better. My name is Sam Caston Smith, and I'm the pastor of education here at Rio Vista. And it is my great privilege to be here this morning preaching in a series called Jesus is Greater. And the whole idea of this series, as Tom has explained before, is that we don't just find Jesus in the New Testament in the books called the Gospels. We find Jesus all over, all of redemptive history. Long before he was born, long before God became a man, from the very opening pages of Genesis, the Bible has been hinting at him. It's been making us long and wetting our appetite for a savior who's going to come and make things right. And beginning all the way in Genesis 3, when humanity decided to spit in the face of God and to say, we're going to go it alone, God came and gave a promise. Before he announced our judgments, before sin and death and everything else was to enter into the world, God made a promise and he said, I am going to send the seed of the woman. I'm going to send a savior, a Messiah who's going to come into this world and he is going to crush the head of the serpent. The one who brought death and sin and misery And all that we find that's wrong in our world, a Savior's going to come who's going to put him down and redeem all things. And so from Genesis 3, the very beginning of the Bible, the rest of the scripture, the rest of the Old Testament, we're left asking that question, who is he? Where is he? When is he going to come? When's he going to show up? And sure enough, you can bet that when Adam and Eve had their first son, they were going, is this him? Cain, Abel, maybe Seth. And you fast forward down the line. Is it Noah? And what you find in the Old Testament is a lot of heroes, all of which are tragically flawed. They have these great heroic qualities. And guess what? When Jesus finally comes, and he's in a a class all by himself, he takes their heroic qualities And does it so much greater than they ever could. And he'll take the pattern of all their tragic flaws and he'll complete them and redeem them perfectly. It's amazing. And so as the story goes in Genesis, you go from Adam and Cain and Abel and Seth and you go through Noah. And finally, when you get to Genesis 11 and 12, we're introduced to a man And God says, my deliverer, my salvation is coming through this man, and his name is Abraham. He says, through you, Abraham, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. In other words, the Savior is coming through you. And Abraham has a son, Isaac. And Isaac marries Rebekah, and Rebekah gets pregnant, and she has twins. One of them is Jacob. And he's going to marry Leah. And that's who who we're going to talk about today. I love these two figures. They're like diametrically opposite of one another. 
And God gives us these two figures that are going to give birth to half of the tribes of the nation of Israel, that are going to bring about the Savior of the world through their line, that are going to do these amazing things. And he gives us two figures, and we look at them and we go, really, God? Like, of all people on earth that you could have chosen, you give us these two? Neither one of them seems like a good candidate worthy of this. That's the point. Neither one of them is worthy of this. You see, because it's not just Jesus that's being heralded from the beginning of creation. It's his gospel. Nobody was ever saved. Nobody ever received salvation. Nobody ever went to heaven who earned it except one man and his name is Jesus. Every other person that you'll ever find in heaven is there because of him. Jacob and Leah included. When my wife and I first got married, we joked around that, you know, before we had kids, we wanted to have a dog. You know, to like, I guess like boot camp for having kids. It's pretty tragic logic, but... Anyway, we had a son, and it didn't work out, and we named him Caleb, and later on we found out that in Hebrew, Caleb means dog. We had our second kid, and we named him Jacob, and later on, when we took Hebrew, we found out that means liar, deceiver. You're welcome, Jacob. (laughs) Then we had our third daughter, and we named her Leah, and We found out later, that name means exhausted. You're welcome, Leah. Hebrew's just filled with all these great names. So by the fourth kid, we'd taken Hebrew. We named him Nathan, which is the gift. The gift of God is the idea. By then, we'd learned. But here's here's where we're starting. We got Jacob and Leah, and we're going to see two stories from both of them. And both of them have to learn lessons that we as a church constantly have to preach to ourselves, right? We come into the body of Christ. We come under his banner. And what do we do? We're tempted to do these things. Both Jacob and Leah are going to try to find their identity and their value by pretending to be someone they're not. Can you go there? Does that sting at all? Do you come in church and you pretend to be one way, but in your private life, everything's falling apart? You're losing your struggle with addiction. You're treating your wife like garbage. You feel like a failure as a parent. But on Sunday, look who I am. I got the disguise up. Jacob and Leah both know what that's like. And the other side... Both will try to find their identity and their value by striving in their own strength to prove that they're good enough. So on one side you have the, look at me, I'm putting on my best costume, I've got the disguise on, you don't know what a mess I am, but here I am. And over here it's, let me show you I'm good enough, I can earn it. And God looks at both and says, no, stop. All I did was praise. All I did was bow down. All I did was worship. He is the defender. 
And so one of those paths leads to constant masking and disguises and you're never known. And the other path leads to perpetual exhaustion because you're never going to be good enough. This world will never fill your tank. Ever. I remember before I became the pastor of education, I was the headmaster at Bethany Christian School. And it was a regular thing that we would have teachers who would come on board, wonderful teachers, And more often than not, every year, I'd get somebody who came to me and they would say, like, I love Bethany. I love it. But I got to confess, I feel a bit like an imposter. And I knew where they were going with this. They'd say, I'd love Bethany, but I, look, I love Jesus. But I don't know the Bible like I should. I don't pray as beautifully as everyone else does. And I'm scared that they're going to find me out. They're going to find out that I'm like, I'm, I don't measure up. I'm not the Christian everybody thinks I am. I'm not, you know, super disciple. I don't measure up. And my advice to them was always the same. Relax. You don't. And neither do I. But here's one of the wonderful things about the Christian faith is we don't base our confidence on our merit. We base our confidence on the love of God and his merit. His free gift that he looks at you, the messes that we are. And he says, you're mine. Just come to me by faith. That's all I ask. All I ask is that you praise. All I ask is that you come to me and worship. I'll be your strength. I'll be your defender. And so let's start with the story of how Jacob doesn't measure up. Both of these, Jacob and Leah, are going to have dads who look at them and go, what a disappointment. Both of them. When Rebecca's pregnant, she has Isaac, or I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau in her womb, and they're going crazy in the womb, like you're imagining elbows flying around in the skin of the stomach, and like they're warring against each other. And she goes to the Lord, and the Lord gives her a promise. He says, two nations are in your womb, which is weird that God can look at one person and see a whole nation. You ever see your kids that way? I see two nations in your womb, and he says this, the older will serve the younger. In other words, Jacob, who's born second, is going to be the chosen one, the one through whom the messianic line comes. The older is going to serve the younger. But he comes out, and we're told like these crazy stories, like Jacob's grabbing Esau's heel, right? Well, there's only one other figure in Scripture that latches on to a heel. Guess who that is? Satan. He will crush your head, the Bible says. The Savior will crush his head and he will strike your heel. And Jacob comes out and what's the picture? He's he's grabbing the heel. And so they name him, literally his name, Yaakov, means heel grabber. In Hebrew it means liar, deceiver, somebody who's trying to trip someone else up so that they can steal the blessing is the idea. And he lives up to his name. Jacob is going to to use his brother's starvation at one point where his brother comes in and he's famished and Jacob says, give me your birthright and I'll give you a taste of this stew. 
And he cons his brother out of that. He's, he lives his life in a way that Isaac, his dad, says, you know, I know God said that he's supposed to get the line of blessing. No way. Look at him. He's a mess. He's Jacob. He's a liar. And so when the time comes for Isaac to give the blessing, he doesn't want to give it to Jacob because Jacob doesn't measure up. But Rebecca hears Isaac say, hey, Esau, I want you to go out into the field. I want you to catch some of your game because I love your game, son. And I want you to bring it back and cook it up and I'm going to give you my blessing. And so Esau's like, great, runs off. Rebecca looks at her son, Jacob, who she always had a warm spot in her heart for and says, now's our chance. And they scheme to deceive Isaac, who is now blind. And so what happens? Rebecca takes lambskins and covers up Jacob's arms so that they're hairy because Esau is a hairy dude. And they take Esau's clothing and they put it on Jacob so that he smells like Esau. This is a real, real catch of a guy, right? Hairy and smells bad. So anyway, he's got fur on him. He's got the clothing. She cooks up some game. And sure enough, Jacob, the liar, goes in front of his dad and says, I'm here for the blessing. Isaac's like, wait a minute, you, you don't sound like Esau, you sound like Jacob. And he comes close and Isaac feels the, the hair, he smells the clothing, he tastes the food, and he lays the blessing upon Jacob. Jacob's standing in front of his father pretending to be but somebody he's not in order to get a blessing. And right as soon as Jacob, or right as soon as Isaac gives Jacob the blessing, in walks Esau. I'm ready to be blessed. And the Bible says that Isaac begins to tremble, like I've been deceived. And Esau's like, "It's fine, just overturn it. Give me the blessing." And Isaac knows at this moment that God's will was not to be thwarted. God, who promised that the older will serve the younger, was not going to be overturned. And Isaac's like, I'm not taking that blessing away. And so Esau says, I'm going to kill him. And Jacob's mom says, you better get out of here. And Jacob runs. Now that blessing belonged to him the moment God spoke it to Rebekah years earlier. But in their striving, guess what happened? In trying to be somebody they're not, all of a sudden, Jacob has lost his mom, his dad, his homeland, all the wealth that he enjoyed, and he runs alone with just what he's carrying to a distant land. And when he gets there, he comes to a well. And this really amazingly beautiful woman named Rachel's walking along. It's one of his distant cousins. And she's beautiful, but there's a problem. There's this stone that's blocking up the well, sealing the well. And all these guys are like, we have to wait for more men because we can't do it. And so Jacob, now get this, thinking Jesus is greater. For Jacob to show his love to his bride, what does he do? He rolls away the stone that no one else could move and gives water to her flock. There's a picture of the gospel there. Then we're told something weird happens. Right after that, Jacob kisses her and begins to weep. Which in the Bible sounds weird, but in my experience, lots of girls cry after they kiss me. So, 
It's pretty normal. Now, really, like, she's excited about it, too, even though the Bible makes it like this quick reference. She runs home to her dad, Laban, and it's like, I met the man of my dreams. You've got to come get him. He's a distant relative. He's got this blessing. He's, he's Rebecca's son. Please, like, let's go meet him. Laban comes out, gives him a hug, kisses him, brings him home and says, oh, so glad you're here. So glad you're here. In Genesis 29, verse 15, Laban says to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, which means exhausted. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And we don't know. Lots of commentators and theologians debate on what that word weak means. It's, it literally means soft. And so I think what this means is it, it's a way of highlighting she's truly exhausted. Like, if you're really exhausted, if you're worn to the bone, what part of your body advertises the fact that you're worn out? It's your eyes. Like, if I were to put these images up there, like... Their eyes are baggy. They're soft. And here's the idea. Jacob's a deceiver who can't measure up to what his dad wants. Leah's exhausted because she's been trying and striving her whole life. And she's worn out. At a minimum, it says that her eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. So, And this means Leah's ugly. She's unlovely. Nobody wants her, but Rachel is really, really beautiful. And so, of course, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I'll serve you, talking to Laban, Rachel's dad, I'll serve you for seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. I don't, I don't want Leah. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. There's an application in there. Like this life is but a mist and a vapor, the Bible says. And we labor for the Lord here. But if we imagined at the end of this life the inheritance that we're going to receive in him, then it should make our days of labor joyful, just like Jacob. Seven years for Rachel and a snap. We work a lifetime And our inheritance is God himself. That should make our labors joyful. And so Laban agrees. And this is where the story gets tremendously tragic. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. They're all drinking. Everybody's getting drunk. It's celebratory. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went in to her. So you've got to imagine, here's the celebration, the night's over, Jacob, everybody's had a lot to drink, it's dark, there's no electricity, you don't turn on light switches, Leah comes into the tent still wearing the veil as was the custom of the day, and I want you to imagine what it would have been like for Leah in that moment. My dad doesn't want me anymore. My dad, like me, believes that no one will ever want me. So the only chance to pawn me off on anybody is to make me pretend to be someone else. 
she goes into this tent and all night for seven years, Jacob had worked for, Le- Le- or for Rachel. And you can imagine how excited he is, the kinds of praises and, and things that he's saying. And Leah is there receiving all of these, just adding shame upon shame, knowing that no one would ever love her like that. That had been her whole life. You relate to that? You ever feel like you're making other people fall in love with someone who's not you? You put on the show, you pretend to be who they want you to be, and you feel utterly alone. You feel unknown. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And I want you to imagine again being Leah hearing this. Now the man you're married to hates you. You deceived him. Your sister who loved him hates you because of your deception. You pretended to be someone else and just like Jacob left empty handed, now Leah is empty. It only heightened her loneliness. And we say, well, this is ancient times and we're so glad that that women and people don't have to deal with these kinds of pressures anymore. Right. This is a human condition. You know, I was reading recently a, a comment that came from Lady Gaga. Listen to this. She says, I used to wake up in the morning. Imagine, it sounds like Leah almost. I used to wake up in the morning and I would realize I'm Lady Gaga. And then I became very depressed and sad. I didn't want to be myself. I felt very much like I don't belong here. Why? She's put on a show. She's become someone else. She wakes up in the morning and no one knows her. We do this all the time. Social media is almost entirely devoted to the fact that we can present everybody who we want them to think we are. None of the brokenness, none of the scars... No, 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 we keep those hidden behind the masks and disguises. Do you know that our beauty and cosmetics industry is a $532 billion industry entirely devoted to covering up? I'm not opposed to makeup, but this is not an ancient problem. This is a today problem. And so, now get this, this is, so the Lord's watching over all this, Right? From before all this, he's already chosen Jacob. He's already chosen Leah. He already, he loves them with all of his heart and he's watching all the mess. All the pain that's unnecessary. Had they just trusted the prophecy and not schemed for all this, their life would be peaceful. But we don't do that, do we? We don't trust the promises of God. We want to own it and work it out ourselves. And so when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... It's a strong word. She's hated. He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son. And I want you to pay attention to these names, okay? She bore a son because in that, in the ancient world, like how many sons a woman could produce was her identity. It was seen as a blessing. It's how valuable you are as a wife. And so she's trying to win the affection of Jacob by performing so, so we've done the disguising. Now we're going to move into the I will prove myself good enough. 
And so she conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, now my husband will love me. And so Leah and Rachel are going to start down this track of who can have the most kids, who's going to prove to be the better wife. And so then, get that, the Lord has seen me. The Lord has looked upon my affliction. Yeah, 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 that's nice. But I want him to see me. I want him to be the source of my fulfillment. I want him. Not, you're, it's kind of nice, God, I appreciate that you see my affliction, but I'm heartbroken over him. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I'm hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means heard. And again, God hears her. God sees her. She wants him. She wants Jacob. Can you relate to this? We bask under the amazing love of God. And it's not good enough. We we take that love and we say, but I need this. God, you know, yeah, 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 I'll I'll love you, I'll worship you, I'll give you what you're due, but I need you to get me my real treasure. Do we do that? And she, again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Do you get the irony here? God sees her. God, the almighty God of the universe, sees her, hears her, longs to be attached to her. And she's saying, but I want him. I want career. I want this. I want money. I want whatever. Yeah, 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 this is nice, but this over here is my true treasure. And you know what? It doesn't change. Jacob's heart doesn't go, oh, three sons, now I love you. She's left empty. And the third son was Levi. It's going to bring about the priestly line. Moses, Aaron, these famous figures. But I want you to stop here because in this passage, we traditionally say Leah is the one who's unloved. And in a sense, she is by her dad, by Jacob, by her sister, by society. But who's really unloved here? God. You know, think about this. Leah is doing to God what Jacob has done to her, is she not? I'd rather, Jacob's saying, I'd rather have Rachel. And Leah's over here going, but love me, love me, I'm here, like I'm all yours. Jacob, I'd rather have Rachel. And God is saying to Leah, I see you, I hear you, I'm attached to you, I'm all in for you, Leah. I love you beyond measure, no one else sees you, but I do. And Leah and us do a lot of, yeah, but I'd rather have that. And all that pain... And realizing that Jacob's heart is not going to soften to her, she conceived again. I love this verse. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah. 
and she ceased bearing. Do you know how amazing that verse is? Do you you know who Judah is? Like this is the line. Judah is the line that's going to lead to King David and King Solomon and God in the flesh himself, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. This time, I'm going to praise the Lord. You're going to be my ultimate treasure. And in that moment, salvation bursts onto the scene. The Lord who saw her, who heard her, who was attached to her, received her love and blessing exploded over her. And she was full. Leah learned that the striving, the trying to be better, trying to be good enough, it never won her anything. It left her empty. It left her unsatisfied. But the moment she turns and says, this time I'll praise the Lord. Oh, beauty. In Genesis 49, it says this. This is what Jacob speaks over Judah before his death. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. This is the kingly line. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of peoples. This is talking about Jesus who will come through Judah. He has washed in garments. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. Who washes stuff in blood? Jesus does. His eyes are darker, literally duller. He takes on the, the trait of Leah here. His teeth are whiter than milk. Celebratory. You know, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in heaven, Leah will be utterly honored as a matriarch who brought forth salvation to the world. That is this woman. When she yields and praises God, salvation flows from her. And so Jacob stays in the house of Laban. He works for six years and he he tricks, he schemes again and he takes a whole bunch of wealth from Laban in an honest kind of a weird way. And so then he says, you know what, I've got all these flocks, I've got children, I've got wives, I'm going back home to claim my promised land. But there's one problem. There's a man named Esau who's a pretty good warrior, a hunter, who still wants to kill him. And so Jacob is thinking, how do I do this? So in verse 22 of chapter 32, it says, That same night he arose and took his wives. He's leaving Padanaram. And he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok River. He took them, sent them across the stream, everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. Why does he do this? Someone with 400 soldiers is coming to kill me, And I say, "Uh, okay, uh, Jacob, Caleb, Leah, Nathan, Laura, you go across the stream. You hang out over there. I'll stay over here. This is typical Jacob. What's best for me? I'll use my family as a human shield. And so Jacob stays back on this side of the river all by himself. And God shows up. The angel of the Lord comes and wrestles with him. And Jacob doesn't know it. It says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail. So imagine this. God, Jacob, in a wrestling match. This sounds absurd. Like this should be like incinerated into a pile of ash. And so the man, God, touched 
Jacob's hip. And it was totally, immediately out of joint. You imagine as a wrestler, you're down in the crouching position. This is where all your strength is in your hip. And God goes, and puts Jacob's hip out. And Jacob now, with the strength of his arms, is holding on to this man. And the Lord says, let me go, for day has broken. But Jacob said, and we should all live by this, I will not let go until you give me a blessing. That's Jacob's heart. I'm getting the blessing. I'm not letting go. And so God looks at him and he says this devastating question. You want a blessing, do you? When's the last time you asked for a blessing? What did you do? Jacob is, he schemed, he lied. He said, I'm Esau. He, He pretended to be somebody he wasn't. So God says, you want a blessing? What's your name? And in this moment, Jacob's got options. Do I lie? Do I pretend or do I admit who I am? I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a heel grabber. And he's honest and he says, the shameful thing, my name is Jacob. And right in that moment, the Lord responds, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with men and you've prevailed. How insane is that? You come to God who can touch you and destroy you just like that. And the Lord, like a father to you, wrestles with you and allows you to win. But what's the secret? Jacob comes. He's not pretending anymore. He's not trying to be good enough. He's not trying to hide who he is. He comes and says, I'm a mess. I'm Jacob. And it's at that moment and that freedom that the Lord says, No, you're not. You're Israel, for you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Can you imagine God saying that you come and strive against him and you win? That's reality in the gospel. You come and war against God, and when you lay down honesty, when you confess your weaknesses, when you're no longer hiding and scheming, but you're honest, you win. God declares you the victor. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there God himself blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel because he said, for I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been delivered. See, Jacob understands the mercy that has just gone on. I deserved to perish. He could have killed me and he'd have been right. He delivered my life. And he gave me a blessing. And now all of a sudden, Jacob's not going out. He's heard from God himself. Your blessing is secure. Your inheritance is secure. Your name is secure. God has given it to you. He is your great reward. And from there, all of Jacob's death grips on everything that he tried to manipulate in life are suddenly peeled open. And he's a changed man. I love the way this particular wrestling match ends. It says, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants with the children in front, Leah with her children, Rachel and Joseph last of all, and then he himself 
went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Do you see what happened here? When Jacob got honest with God, when he confessed the mess that he was, and God said, changed his identity. No, I'm going to bless you. I'm changing your name. You have a new identity that's rooted in me. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob's whole character's changed, or Israel's character's changed. He goes out, and he's willing to lay his life down. He becomes Christ-like, doesn't he? Now he's willing to give his life for his children for Leah, for Rachel. And so in this story, you learn that's really tempting in this life to try to, to try to be good enough or to try to look good enough. But the Christian's entire identity is so sourced by God's goodness that we don't look at ourselves. We look to him who's shown us tremendous mercy who's given us an identity that can't be shaken, who has clothed us in righteousness. You remember the beginning when Jacob schemed to steal the blessing from Esau? Let me tell that story again. Jacob, the rotten liar, goes before the father and says, I want all of the inheritance. I want the blessing. I want it all to come to me. And what does he do? He deceives and he dresses up like the firstborn and he smells like the firstborn and he's going to have a dish that tastes like the firstborn and he deceives the father into giving him a blessing. Your reality is way better because we serve one who's far greater than Jacob, far greater than Isaac. We serve one who loves you so much. The father looks at all of us and says, they're a mess. And you know what? The firstborn son of God, Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the living and the dead, steps into this world with right to all the inheritance and all the blessing. Jesus is the only one who's ever been perfect. And he comes before me and he says, Sam, who are you? I'm a mess. And he takes his perfection, his perfect righteousness, and he clothes me in it. And he gives me his aroma. He makes me like him so that the father, when the father God is about to pour out the blessing, he sees me. He sees Jesus, the firstborn, when he looks at me. And now I'm entitled to all the blessing. He knows what it's like to be Leah. He knows Jesus was not an attractive man, we're told. He knows the pains of being humiliated and abused. He knows what it's like to have unrequited love, to be so wild about a bride that does not love him back. He's the firstborn who gives away the inheritance. He shields like like Jacob goes out to face Esau. Esau's going to show mercy. But Jesus goes out to protect his bride and he gets pummeled by the wrath of God. And he does it for the joy set before him, which is you. You delight his heart. He sings over you. He's not passive. He's not distant. He sings with rejoicing over you. And he insists in the middle of that wrestling match, he doesn't cry out, I will not let go until you bless me. He says, I will not let go until you bless them. Our God wrestles with us. And like a good father and a tender savior, 
He lets us win. He is so much greater. He is our great reward. So let's stop pretending that we're good enough. Let's stop striving and trying to earn his love. You can't. It's a gift. Because he is good enough. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your gospel. Lord, I thank you that you can look at people like Jacob and Leah, which we can all recognize ourselves in these characters. And you love them. (laughs) In spite of all that they do, you bless them. You go out and you take the wrath for us. You wrestle to give us a blessing. You clothe us in the perfections of the firstborn son of God so that we receive the inheritance and the blessing that you deserve even as you take the wrath we deserve. You are so good. You are so much greater. So be honored this day as we lift up our praises. In Christ's name. Amen.